Ash Olaf. Hi guys, welcome back to You Can't Podcast with Kids from the Symposium. I'm happy to be joined by Lawrence, Calvin and Arjun as usual. Um, today's quite an entertaining pod because it's been a very entertaining week of football. Um, we'll first talk about the championship, the final rounds of game, final round of games there, which well, if anyone who followed it, you know that it was very dramatic. A lot of ups and downs, a lot of movement in the table until the very last moments with some interesting inclusions in relegation and the playoffs. Then we'll do Where's Calvin? Um, where we have to find, uh, where we have 10 questions to find which stadium Calvin has chosen to be in a specific episode. And then finally, we'll preview tomorrow, which is the Premier League's final day. We'll talk about each match and the ramifications involved for the results that we predict, whether in relegation or the race for the Champions League spaces. So yeah, without further ado, Arjun, how are you doing today, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Not bad. Looking forward to doing this podcast. Should be quite fun. Yeah, Lawrence, how have you been this week? Uh, a bit, a bit nervy uh, going into the final day tomorrow, but I'm sure we'll talk about it more when we get to it. Calvin, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. You know, um, we're finishing strong. You know, uh, and just we've been linked to some interesting transfers. Uh, mm. Don't think any of them will happen, but except one of them maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, because actually, I don't. It's not actually the opposite. I don't. I think we're too good for the player. Right. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, Thanks. let's start. Who, yeah, which, which player is this car actually? Uh, this Korean centre back. Oh, yeah, Kim Kim Min Jae. Right. Okay. I mean, I've yeah. never heard of him. Who is he? I don't know either. I just heard. I just remember his name. Seeing it. <laughs> right. Okay. Fine. Well, that would be. He sounds play. amazing. <laughs> he, play, he plays in the Chinese Super League. You know, one of the most competitive leagues. Right, okay, Carl. You keep telling hey, yourself that. Gareth Bale almost went there. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> right, let's um, let's start. Arjun, talk to me about the final day in the championship. What's it out to you? What did you enjoy? Tell, talk to me about some of the highlights of that quite tumultuous round of games. Yeah, it was crazy. So, basically, obviously, 12, 12 fixtures played at the same time. Everything to play for. I think there was only one game that was a dead rubber where neither team were looking to get you know, into the playoffs or promoted or fighting against relegation. So basically, a quick summary is that Charlton almost escaped from relegation despite being flashed by already confirmed uh, promoted leads. But they, they, they then get relegated due to, in the 90th minute due to Barnsley, Barnsley's winner away to Brentford. That goal by Barnsley simultaneously keeps them up, um, consigns Brentford to the playoffs and relegates Wigan at the same time, which is just insane. Um, Fulham and Brentford bolstered their chances to to get automatic promotion. West Brom crawled into the Premier League despite basically failing in the last couple of matches to gain any sort of cohesive um, wins in a row. Um, Swansea overcame a five, a plus, a minus five goal difference to overtake Forest for the final playoff spot, and Luton survived with a minus twenty eight goal difference, whilst Wigan get relegated with a plus one goal difference. I think we'll talk about that in a bit, the whole travesty about Wigan, how they got relegated. And the championship match, match day was actually um, the third most goals that were ever scored in a single round of championship, championship fixtures. So it was just quite crazy. Lots of things happened. Um, the table was just constantly evolving and changing. I think in, the, in terms of the playoffs, there were 27 different um, sort of like, how do you say, like movements um, between the third place and sixth place. So wow. Okay. It was, it was constantly changing. So yeah, it's just a mad um, final round of fixtures in what is quite a mad league to follow. Are you quite gutted about Brentford? Um, yeah. So as I said before, Brentford are my second team. I, I try and follow um, them as often as I can. I'm a bit bit annoyed because they only, there was a point where they only need a goal against Barnsley when it was one one, and West Brom were drawing against QPR um, to get automatic promotion, but. They should be quite um, optimistic looking ahead to the playoffs. Um, I think, as I said last podcast, they'd won eight of the last ten matches to get into the position where they could have got promoted automatically. So they're on a, they're, they are still on quite a good run of form, despite the loss. And they should be favourites to get um, the playoff spot, I reckon. Fair enough. 
Um, just a quick note that a team that I hope gets relegated next year into this league is Brighton and they've got current interest in Adam Lallana just as a bit of transfer gossip that I just got on my phone just thought I'd mention that um, yeah I mean um, just relating to what Arjun just said I got to sympathize um, with Brentford especially considering that West Brom I think have had a lot of chances in the Premier League they're much, definitely a yo-yo club they never bring anything interesting um, they never really entertain you at the Hawthorns. They never, wow. you never really seem to wow. beat this the big boys. No, any West Brom no, hang on. I'm sure, no, I'm sure. I'm sure. Some no, Tony Pulis football is very attractive to you. <laughs> I'm Do you not say, remember Sido Berahina? I mean, when he went to Stoke and didn't even know what game it was, like when the games were, like it's just disaster of a career. But I just mean, you know, that's why I just wanted Brentford. You know, some new blood in the league, maybe something more exciting. But now we're kind of stuck with West Brom again. Um, Lawrence, what did you make of the final round of games? Any surprises that stuck out to you? I mean, um, if you touch on Forest, that would be helpful, their capitulation. Yeah, I was going to say, Bre- Brentford will be playing Swansea in the uh, the playoff semi-final. Um, Swansea get going up through a miraculous six-goal swing in the, on, the, on the final day. Um, for, beating out Forest uh, by one goal um, on, on goal difference. Uh, Forest will be will be gutted, of course. They lost four one against against Stoke on on the final match. And um, to be honest, I was watching the Swansea game, not the Forest game. Swansea uh, winning against Reading. Um, right. Uh, so yeah, I think that well, from from I know from a Swansea end, they're they're absolutely delighted that they're in the playoffs, and and anything beyond this is is really a bonus because. Uh, I feel like they are outmatched in, um, well, in the playoffs. Well, I mean, um, the playoffs are now populated by a lot of teams that were in the Premier League at some point in the recent years, which maybe suggests some credence to the up-down theory that you can come straight back up. I'm, I'm not sure. But, I mean, again, it's just like disappointing for me because not, not just from a purely neutral perspective, I'd, I'd like to see as many new clubs in the Premier League as possible. It just makes it more entertaining for those clubs that are constantly in the Premier League, um, like the ones that all, all of us support on this pod, actually. Well, um, yeah, Carl- every, sorry. Go on, no, go on, Lawrence. For every team that sort of yo-yos and goes up and down, there's also like a hole um, or or a Wigan actually that that sort of falls away after being relegated from the Premier League. Yeah. So I don't I think, think there's necessarily a, a, a like a like a pattern. I think it's just how well the club is run and how sustainable their model is. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. Um, Calvin. Uh, that Lawrence's comment there about Wigan is interesting. I mean, you had something to say about kind of their predicament. Yeah. Um, so the fact that they were bought, I think it was like four weeks before they went into administration, three weeks, five weeks, something like that. Um, it's a bit of a shambles, really. Like, you know, the EFL has these like, uh, I think it's like a test to check they can afford to keep it for the rest of the season plus the next season. And the fact they died in four weeks or so I mean something needs to be looked at there because they're not the first football league club to go you know Barry early up in the year you know I think that's definitely something that's got to be looked at um, and the fact that you know Wigan would have probably finished mid-table if it wasn't for the points deduction says a lot as well you know they deserve to stay up yeah I mean it's just a very unfortunate situation for everyone involved Arjun you had more detail on it yeah I mean I can't claim to know the precise details of how it happened, but from what I understand, basically, the, the owners of Wigan Athletic basically placed a bet on them to go down, which is obviously quite bad. And that, so they would stand to um, benefit from any possible sort of administration that the club would go into um, if, they got, if they were to get relegated. Um, so, yeah, I like all the, all, the, all the owners, the new owners have some sort of dodgy background. You, you question why someone would place a club into administration a week after owning them um, and only six games before the end of the season, unless they gambled, which they did, on the club going down and panicked, so they started to pick up points and climbed away. I think Wigan um, this year in 2020 are, would be fourth in the championship um, and you know they finished 13th in the end, which shows how well they've done this season, um, despite this, this gloom hanging over them. And the fact that honestly, they that's, honestly, that's yeah, just... Terrible just so grim the idea that um the idea that an owner would want the team to do perversely just just poorly it reminds me of the worst of kind of sports gambling where you have stars throwing games that you occasionally see in cricket um 
it just it just reminds you of that and it just just destroys any kind of competitive spirit that makes us you know want to watch sport because it just introduces an element of sabotage but self-sabotage which is almost worse in the sense that you know you're not the players obviously that they'll be doing their best but the, the administrative side of the club which as we know in the modern game is as important that's being sabotaged or intentionally run poorly to induce a result that will benefit them financially a perverse result that goes against competitive spirit now, honestly, that that's genuinely quite disgusting. Yeah, and I, and, and, I, and I think it's something that really does need to be looked at. Yeah, the EFL have like this fit and proper test for owners, but I think the 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 constraints upon that aren't as they aren't they aren't as secure as they should be. So you have clubs like notably in the last like decade, clubs like Portsmouth, Blackpool, Charlton, Wigan, Bolton, Bury, who just have been plagued by a series of terrible owners, administration, relegations, and they've gone to really bad patch. And there's something to be said about the owners, you know, not their backgrounds not being looked at properly, you know, very dodgy backgrounds, basically. But but then the Premier League, obviously, I don't know your opinion about all the billionaire owners who are taking over these clubs. Like, do you think it, do you think it sort of d- destroys the competitive integrity of the league? I don't know. I mean, that's that's a very deep discussion, because I think on one side you could say, yeah, you have teams that artificially just explode up the table, like maybe Man City have done in in the in like the 2010s, 11. Um, but then at the same time, they still need players that play honestly on the pitch and and draw out results. And obviously, foreign owners bring in a lot of revenue and money for the league in terms of advertising in other countries, which I guess helps everyone. So it's quite a hard dilemma. Um, what other games stuck out to you guys from um, the championship? Uh, well, yeah. Um... Obviously, the Brentford game stood out to me. I, I watched the second, second half of that one. Yeah, they Brentford are pushing hard for a goal, the goal that would take them up, the winner that would take them up. And they basically committed all their men into attack and Barnsley just um, took advantage of that. Barnsley surviving basically at Wigan's expense. They would be relegated if it weren't for the points deduction. And I think today Barnsley actually issued a statement um, which basically criticised the EFL for the handling of it. And the summary of the, the summary of the statement was that okay we we survived but we shouldn't have survived. The reason why we survived was because the EFL failed to investigate and to conduct uh, proper background checks into Wigan's owners. That's quite and honest it, of them. Yeah, and like everyone's looking at Barnsley, thinking, oh, plucky little Barnsley, you know, good on them for standing up to the EFL and for criticising something that they benefited from. So yeah, that that was an interesting game because there were so many, so many like impact the impact of that the Barnsley winner basically yeah impacted three clubs at the same time um and then obviously as has been mentioned before the forest collapse um in conjunction the swansea 4-1 win against reading was quite interesting um and yeah obviously everyone lots of people are following the wigan athletic game because they would have stayed up had they won that game even with the points deduction they would have stayed up just scraped into 21st place but unfortunately they couldn't get a winner and it ended 1-1 and they were relegated yeah, that's a, that's a shame. I mean, I, I'm really surprised Barnsley stayed up because I was at Birmingham City against Barnsley at St Andrews uh, in, I think it was September or October-ish time. September, I think, actually, near the beginning of the season. And Barnsley were awful. They didn't even register a shot on target. And, you know, judging by their form in the last few months and the retiring of Jude Bellingham shirt, Birmingham are no good outfit either. They're a bit of a tin pot club as well. And that's, that's someone who supports them as a kind of second team. Um and and it, and Barnsley produced literally a, a non-performance at St Andrews against a pretty average Birmingham side. So I'm really surprised they actually managed to stay up. Um, and and it kind of I just I guess it it kind of shows how perverse the Wigan situation is when you have a club that patently should be in the league, as you guys have said, is, is has been replaced by one which which really over the whole season has not has not really shown the performance of a Championship side. Um, but yeah. Guys, thank you for that review. The, we, I mean, uh, that round of games was very exciting. Some of the most exciting bits of English football I've watched, even though my attention was obviously diverted to the Liverpool-Chelsea game, which I'm sure we'll touch on maybe later. Um, but yeah, time to move on to the game segment of this podcast, which is Where's Calvin? Wally. 
So as stated earlier, this is where we have 10 questions to guess where Calvin is in the country, which stadium he's at. So yeah, um, Lawrence, what's your first question? I think he's gone European this time. I'll be honest, but I'll keep it. I'll keep it um, quite general. So, does he play in the top five divisions of Europe? The stadium, sorry. No, but just refresh. Uh, top five for future reference. You can cut this out after. Right. Uh, that'd be Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, and League One. League okay. One. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I just wanted to check. So he doesn't. So you're saying he doesn't as answer yeah. to Lawrence's question, right? Yeah. So that's one question. Um, Arjun, is it a stadium? Is it in Europe? This stadium? Yes. Okay. okay. My turn. Is it in the second division of one of the top five European countries? So those are England, Spain, France, Germany, and Italy. Is it in the second division no. of one of those countries? So it's not. In, no. Okay, right. That's three questions down. Right, Lawrence. But you have given me a good idea for future stadiums now. Yeah. Lawrence? Bruh, there's no way that Calvin has gone to, like, the fucking German fourth division. My suspicion now is it's the first division of a non-five country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, so feel, be, I feel like, like I can guess where it is. So, yeah, it's so, like right. Portugal, I, Scotland, Netherlands. Austria... Yeah. You know, one of those. So, uh, so right, we're, we're right. three questions down. We're really str- okay. Right. Hmm. Has okay. Going on your guys' assumption, has uh, has the team, so the stadium's team, played in the Champions League? Uh, in the last, let's say, five years. Yes. Ooh, all right. So um, right, that, that establishes a lot, actually. Right, Arjun. Um, has this team reached, reached the latter stages of the Champions League, by which I mean the semi-finals or final, in the last two years? Yes. Okay. Oh, oh I think I know who it is. Can I make a guess? Um, yeah, if you have an answer, yeah. Is it the Amsterdam Arena? Uh, yeah, but not the actual name. Come on. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like the Johan Cruyff Arena, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I, fair, fair. Arjun gets the point. Although I think we all kind of that, yeah. that last that, the, yeah. the, the, the Champions yeah. League one, basically. The thing is that Lawrence was you're you're going to go down a rabbit hole of thinking it was <laughs> yeah, a yeah, lower division of a top five yeah. country, but it's actually it was it was the first division of a non-five country rather yeah, than yeah, you know. I'm, yeah. yeah. Hmm. For the Champions League question. I mean, Cal- Calvin's staying as basic as usual by choosing Ajax, and now he's chosen Milan and Ajax as two of his <laughs> two of his answers. And oh, Craven Cottage was the other one. Yeah, that's not. That's not. And that's not Den. He's chosen the yeah. Den as well. So. The Den. The Den's. The Den's not as basic, to be fair. No, that was decent. You got right. Back, you know. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, right. Before we go on to the Premier League preview for tomorrow's final round of games. Let's just touch briefly on Liverpool against Chelsea. So that was a very entertaining game. Eight goals in it. Um, Liverpool looking like the Liverpool about four years ago, before Van Dijk came. Very shaky at the back, but able to score heaps of goals. Not a great sign, but again, I'll take all these games with a pinch of salt, as I've said before. Arjun, what did you make of it? Oh, man. Well, it's a great game, I mean, to watch. I mean, if you were a neutral watching it, you'd, you'd be very entertained. For me, it was stressful, really stressful. We obviously collapsed in the first half, 3-0 down, um, managed to get back into it. But I never really felt like a comeback was possible, even though Pulisic, when he came on, changed the game um, with an amazing, amazing run and assist for Tammy Abraham's goal, leaving Alexander-Arnold on the floor, twisting and twirling past like several Liverpool defenders, really eerily reminiscent to, to a sort of hazard run that we'd get. Um, yeah, he's the real deal, definitely. And his goal was excellent. Back he's to goal. On his right foot, smashes it past Allison. Great goal. Then, yeah, f- uh, I think it was 15 minutes to go or something like that. And it was 4 3. And, and that, at that point, I had, you know, I had a, a bit of hope that 
unfortunately we just seem to commit so many players to attack and we, we forgot about the real basics of the game <laughs> um we yeah we were basically suicidal and yeah i think oxlade chamberlain was a good goal by him but the main reason we lost the game or at least conceded as many goals as we did was Kepa. um it's he was absolutely woeful. yeah absolutely woeful um there was an incident didn't lead to a goal thankfully i think it was it may have been after the fifth Liverpool got gone in, maybe just a bit beforehand, but it was a corner. And as you know, we were abject at defending corners. There was a corner came in and Keva basically stood motionless like a statue, <laughs> not do anything. And if you're watching without the stadium effects, you heard like three or four Chelsea players shout, Keva, Keva, Keva. And he did not move, did not react. And they were visibly annoyed with him. And I think it was just headed over the bar by maybe Van Dijk or someone else. Oh, I remember that. So, so what happened was essentially yeah. Keva stood still. The ball went across the um, six-yard box. No one near Van Dijk. About two yards of space either side of him. As, is it like a, is it a yeah? So and he um, it basically came to him about shin height and he hoofed it over, um, which is obviously quite unlike him. But yeah, it just shows as you said. I mean, Liverpool man did manage to score. I think Wayne Aldum scored off a set piece. Absolute shambles. It would have been a penalty anyway had he not scored it because it was a blatant handball. Um, mm. As we said on previous pods, the, the defending at old corners is absolutely abject from Chelsea. Um, their positioning, it, it looks quite fundamental because it's not even, I don't, I don't even think it's an entirely a personnel issue. Um, the placings of players in the box, the, the people that each player marks, um, it all just seems completely wrong just looking at it from, from an outsider's perspective. Um, yeah. Also, but, just um, one more thing about the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or rather, yeah, what happened during the game. I think it's a bit of an unstory, the whole Lampard Klopp sort of. Um, encounter uh, where Lampard yeah. got annoyed at Klopp. I think I think that that was it was a bit too much made out of it. Essentially, Lampard got annoyed at Klopp, but mostly his sort of support staff were celebrating quite wildly. Um, that happens in the heat of the game. I think Lampard admitted that you know he shouldn't have said what he said, but you know at the end of the day it was all fine. I think even Klopp admitted to it. You know, once you finish the game, it's all fine. I think it may be a bit manufactured by the press overhyping it. Um, I don't think anything serious happened admittedly I think the fact that Klopp actually told one of his support staff to calm down shows that perhaps they were being a bit too exuberant in the celebrations but that that again that happens at the heat of the moment you get excited and I don't really think it's as much of a story as um, the media were trying to make out to be honest I think both of them made mistakes um, the way they um, got annoyed at each other but neither of them are really too much in the wrong I think yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, oh, yeah, as usual, these, these things, it's probably fermented and exaggerated by the media quite substantially. Um, it's not Pizzagate, it's not Vieira against um, Roy right. Keane, or it's yeah. not Vieira against Roy Keane, it's, it's, it's just a bit of a tip on the sideline. It's not even, I, I mean, I've seen a video of it, it would just seem like a couple of words that were exchanged, nothing really serious. It was essentially, it was essentially about, um, it was essentially about the, the foul that, that led to Trent's free kick, which he scored. Which on second viewing was a clear foul rather than a dive, um, because uh, it, you know there was a clip on the heel, um, and Lampard just obviously couldn't tell from the sideline that, there, that it was a foul. It looked like quite a theatrical dive, so I, I understand to some extent his grievance. Um, Arjun, you seem to have a, you seem to be able to score goals, and obviously that will be helped further next year by acquisitions like Ziyech and Werner. Um, do you think there are any keepers that will be viable replacements for Kepa over the summer? And how do you think you can go about improving this defence? Yeah, I mean, we're linked with Oblak. I don't know if you've seen the rumours. I don't really I don't really believe those rumours because he'd be worth like 120 million. And although we do have quite a lot of money to spend, we have a bit of a war chest. I can't see us spending that much money on a goalkeeper. Um, as, you, as spent seven, you spent 70 on Kepa and he was hardly... And he was Bill Bauer willing to let him go as well. Come on. True, but that was pre-pandemic times. And also, we, um, I think we're, our priority, as much as it maybe shouldn't be, is, is more players like in defence and midfield, like Havertz and a left-back. But I think th- this performance has shown that he shouldn't be the main keeper. I think in terms of pe- players we should be looking at, I mean, there aren't, many, there aren't very many established names other than Oblak, that we've been linked with. There's a keeper from Stade Rheim in France, Rykovic, who's kept like 18 clean sheets this season, or something something ridiculous. Um, all his stats appear quite good, but, you know, he's doing it in France. Can he do it in a proper, you know, a really good league? Who knows? But I think if you bring in a keeper and it isn't Oblak, it's liable to be a less established name. 
But to be honest, I'd take anything over Kepa right now. I'd rather play Caballero tomorrow against Wolves. I'd feel more secure with that um, with that change. So, yeah. So, yeah, I think goalkeeper is definitely the main um, problem for us. We will, we will get habits. That's basically done. Um, yeah, but I think goalkeeper should take precedent over a left-back. Lawrence, has your position changed on De Gea recently or not? Um... He continues to make mistakes, uh, but as I said before, not he doesn't hasn't become a bad keeper overnight. I don't think um, he, it's worth giving him another season. Just going back to Chelsea, I haven't seen any concrete links, but um, there is a keeper, another keeper in France, uh, Stefan Ruffier, who would right. be a short-term solution at 33, but because he's kind of unsettled at Saint Etienne, and he's seen as a safe pair of hands. Um, it feels like a sensible deal to me, but, you know, who knows? Um, but, yeah. So, Calvin, what are your thoughts on um, the Chelsea game? And overall, how far do you think Spurs are off a top four team like Chelsea? Uh, yeah, so let's start with the second question first. How far are we? Um, Very far. <laughs> I don't know. It depends because, like, We've always been missing that defensive midfield play, you know, to protect the defence. Um, and that's why we were so good in 16-17. You know, Dembele was cleaning up for Odrerold, yeah. Batongan, and they were also in their prime. Um, we've been linked with Hoiberg. Um, don't know if he's really the solution, but it's one way to go about it, at least, because that means Ndombele can actually come onto the pitch. Because that's... Yeah. that's our record signing can't even survive a full 90 because he can't track back. Like, you know, having yeah. that at least enables him to play, which I think is quite key, especially since, you know, we've got players sitting on the bench. We can't play in the current system. Yeah. Um, how far are we? We still need another centre-back, right-back, maybe a backup striker while we're there. Um, so, you know, we're a bit away. Um, but no. Is that, so you feel like you're that far away from fourth because obviously um, Mourinho's not been there for, for a massively long period of time. But do you think over the summer, just in coaching, you can maybe catch up? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think we've already seen in the last few games, like we look good. You know, we've changed the system to fit the current team. And yeah. it's, gone, it's gone well. Um, in terms of Mourinho, I think, again, you know, you've got to give managers a proper uh, pre-season. Um, and the fact that, you know, players aren't really going to take time off in this situation because, you know, it's going to go to get back to fitness after that time off in quarantine or yeah. down. You know, just, just to butt in, I think what will encourage Spurs fans the most uh, from their last game against Leicester was how good Harry Kane looked. Um, oh, yeah, scored two sure. goals and he looked like the player that he was two years ago doing everything. Like you wouldn't say that he's um, like the perfect uh, pressing striker. You wouldn't say he's the perfect in terms of build-up, but he but, is what he is, is, is the complete yeah. forward. He's the, he's the forward that does everything in the team like when um, you've got... and contributes in all areas of play. No, and exactly. he looked very good. No, yeah, I agree with that. And I think when you've got Son Mora on the pitch, you know, you've, you've got La Celso, uh, Lamella, you know, you don't really need a forward who's going to be pressing that, that that much when you've yeah. got all these pacey players um, they can do the work effectively and he can be more to draw people away target man uh, and it works well um, I think the other key thing is actually contract extensions you know we talked about Eric Dyer before he extended his contract um, he looked good before he got his FA ban uh, which is another story um, and also Oliver Skip I uh, still, you know, Marino came out to say he was a future Spurs captain. I mean, he's got the name for it, but a nominative determinism. Um, I let's move on to um, the final round of games then in the Premier League, which is uh, happening tomorrow. I think it would be prudent to talk about two games together. So those are Arsenal and Watford and West Ham and Villa. So as I'm sure you're aware, when Villa um, managed to beat Arsenal, um, they managed to get ahead of Watford by one goal, which led to our goal difference discussion from the last pod. And um, essentially, should Villa beat um, West Ham? And 
and and and Watford beat Arsenal, Villa should stay up unless Watford managed to score two more goals. The goal difference is two more goals in Watford's favour than the game against um, Aston Villa and West Ham. So how do you guys see those games panning out and who do you think will end up finishing in 18th place and 17th place? Arjun? Um, yeah, the fact that Villa now have a better goal difference than Watford is key. Um, both teams can win. Watford can still go down. I think Watford have really shot themselves in the foot in the last couple of um, games. And I don't see their like caretaker manager, Hayden Mullins, being able to turn it around in just one game, well, two games. Um, I think Villa against West Ham, a West Ham team who have nothing to play for, um, can either finish 15th or 16th. Um, they'll they'll probably sit back, won't really care about the result, and maybe do their fellow Claret team a favour by allowing a win. And I can't really see Watford winning away at the Emirates anyway. Um, Arsenal can finish as high as 8th this season. Obviously, their priority will be ne- next week, next weekend against Chelsea. But I think still finishing the win um, in the league will be a good thing for Arteta. So I don't think that they will um, give up so easily. So I think Watford are doomed, to be honest. Um, Bournemouth have an outside chance. But again, if Villa get a point, they'll, they'll go down. So yeah, I think Villa will stay up. Fair enough. Lawrence? Yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, I think Watford always knew that going into the final two games against City and Arsenal, uh, they needed to create a bit of a buffer, uh, and they they haven't done so. And um, against Arsenal, the team that Troy Deeney famously said lacked cojones, um, (laughs) I think Arsenal will have sufficient motivation to to relegate Watford in the end, uh, which will be sad for me because I am, I live relatively close to Watford. It's the closest Premier League team to me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, it's, they're one of those teams over the past few years like who've just sacked managers over and over again. And um, I think at some point, the lack of stability at the club, Nigel Pearson being the latest casualty, has uh, has finally not paid off. And, caught up. Um, it's caught up with yeah. them eventually. Um, yeah. Ca- Calvin, how do you see it going? Do you see um, Villa going? Do you see Villa staying ahead of Watford? Do you see Watford managing to claw it back? Yeah, Watford's not happening, um, in my okay. opinion. Uh, you know, Arsenal, they're going to use it as like a warm up for their FA Cup game. Uh, so they've got that going for them. Um, Villa, you know, is all to play for. They know that. I think, in short, if they win, they're a stay-stay. They know that. So that there's a lot of incentive to play. Mm-hmm. Um, Bournemouth are pretty much have to win and relying on pretty much two losses. So I think they're gone. Yeah. No, it's fair, like fair we enough. all agree then, which which means obviously that Bournemouth um, <laughs> will stay no, up now. No, no, what will happen is Bournemouth will stay up. Yeah, Bournemouth <laughs> and Watford in... Um, Watford will end up being 18th, Villa 19th, and Bournemouth 17th, probably based on the curse of this pod. Um, no, but I think I think what you say is interesting. It seems you're all condemning, as Calvin said it explicitly, you're all condemning Bournemouth. They're not really in the conversation anymore, leading to kind of Watford or Villa vying for the last spot of safety. Um, yeah, and all of you condemn all of you condemn Watford. Do you not see perhaps though that West Ham just turning up on the day? They don't have anything to play for, but Declan Rice, a couple of long range goals, Villa are able to play, but as we've seen all season, they're shaky at the back. And I wouldn't put it past Watford to to pull out a result against Arsenal, who who are, you know, genuinely the most inconsistent team, beating Liverpool, Man City one time and then losing to Villa the next. Like, I can see Deeney dominating David Villa or whatever. And I, I can genuinely, I don't think it's beyond the rounds of possibility that Watford win and Villa don't, for example. Yeah, it would, it would be classic Arsenal to let Villa back into the race and then relegate them by losing to Watford. <laughs> um yeah, that's definitely possible. I personally don't see. I, I don't think um, West Ham will win against Villa, but who knows? Um, certainly could happen. All right. So then, so the next focus is the race for the top four. We have Man City. Sorry, we have Man United um, playing Leicester um, at the King Power, which is quite a juicy matchup because both teams are a possibility. Basically, this game winner winner gets in the Champions League. Essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's the case. And then we have Chelsea playing Wolves. Wolves who weren't too far off themselves. So those are two quite juicy matchups. Um, I guess questions go to Lawrence and Arjun then because their teams are in the mix. Lawrence, how do you see it going? 
Well, well, personally, I think United are in better form than Leicester, so we'll probably win. Um, Chelsea Wolves looks like a very tasty match. I personally will have both the games on uh, two screens watching intently. Um, I have no idea how this Chelsea Wolves game is going to go. Both teams look pretty good. Uh, but, um, like, personally, I hope that Leicester beat United and Chelsea lose. So, Leicester and United will make top four, but Chelsea <laughs> Chelsea won't. That would be slightly uh, amusing. But what I, what I would prefer is, is Leicester and Chelsea making the top four and Man United not. I mean, Arjun, what are your, what are your thoughts? I also um, want want us to win against Wolves and Leicester to be United but you know someone's going to end up unhappy here one of the two three teams I think that I mean last night I watched a highlight video from last season Chelsea against Wolves the same fixture and Hazard rescued us in the 93rd minute we were losing one one nil we drew one one and that just gave me just see the scoreline Chelsea nil Wolves one for most of the highlight video just yeah made me clench a bit because I really can see us going one nil down and then we have to come back and fight for it. The worst in, scenario... In which area did you clench? <laughs> no comment. Um, yeah, I, I basically... I can see us going one all down, and then Leicester beating um, United at any point. And if that happens with, like, half an hour to go, it's going to be a very nervous watch. I, 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 I'm confident that we'll be able to get over the line, even if it's by losing and, and United beating Leicester. I feel like that'll be a very Chelsea way to do it, not being able to match our goals but having someone else do it for us basically um yeah i think that united will win um narrowly it won't be easy for them and i think we'll sort of scrape over the line maybe a draw at home to wills who don't forget will be playing to try and get sixth place and to secure themselves the europe league spots um ahead of spurs who i think are playing palace away um yeah that could be that could be a big I feel like there'll, there'll be a lot of goals in that game, Palace Spurs. Palace have been in spectacularly bad form since the restart. I think only one win in their very first game against Burnley. And pretty much like six or seven losses on the spin. Um, so they've gone from fighting for trying to get an outside chance of the Europa League to trying to finish ahead of West Ham and Brighton. So, yeah, I feel I think Spurs will win that game, which means that Wolves have a big incentive to try and win turn up against us. Um which, which will make for a very uncomfortable viewing if you're a Chelsea fan or indeed a United fan like Lawrence. But I feel like it will just be United and Chelsea scrape again. No, I mean, I think that looks like the most likely outcome to me. I mean, I see I see Traore and Jimenez, etc. causing Chelsea problems, especially with that defence. I see Chelsea getting torn apart on set pieces. Um, and, and actually, as you say, the most likely outcome to me seems to be Chelsea losing, Man United winning which just means that Chelsea get fourth through someone else's conduct. Um, Ch- uh, Calvin, how do you see Tottenham Palace going? Uh, yeah, you know, I think Mourinho actually joked about us being the um, champions of uh, the last five games or something stupid like that. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think he'll want the team will want to finish it off this season with a victory and, you know, at least we can paper over the cracks that have happened this season. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so, yeah. do, do, do you see do you see yourselves taking see, mem- this? Do you see yourselves taking this momentum into next season? Uh, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why not. You know, he started instilling this winning mentality I've been talking about a lot. You know, and I think, as I said, it was most obvious in the Newcastle game where you know, everyone, and also the game where Son and Maurice, you know, that bust up. Yeah. Um. And I think yeah, it's going to go through to next season. There's no reason why it wouldn't. You're really the eternal optimist. <laughs> Literally. Someone not... say to a delusional level. Ooh, no, that's a bit of an I'm allegation. Not, I'm not saying we're going to win the Champions League now. Come on. And, you know, we're going to be playing Europa Nobody League. Nobody is saying probably. that. <laughs> we're probably going to be playing Europa League football. And, you know, we might you know, get to a good stage there. You know, semi-finals, final. Uh, you know, we'll take it seriously, not just play the youth team. Um and you know, once we, I think once the first trophy comes in, that's when we'll start talking. Yeah, but, but we're going to have to wait a long that... time for that conversation. Though, <laughs> yeah. Do you not think that the fact that you're like, uh, like you seem reasonably happy with Europa League football and maybe challenging top four next season, kind of shows how your ex- expectations have gone? I mean, last year you were in the Champions League final, and you know, 
there have been points over the past three years where Tottenham have thought, okay, we could be title challengers. Is there has there been a serious re- readjustment of your expectations from this team? Uh, I don't think it's serious readjustment. I think you know you have to consider the wider picture. Like even last year, if you ignore the Champions League run, we were playing relegation form football. You know we lost so many games from February onwards, um, and the Champions League run just papered over the cracks. Um, and I think it, we just have to take it in the wider sort of context. We're not just suddenly going to go from you know losing games to title challenges. Yeah, fair enough. So yeah, um, go guys. What are your thoughts on Burnley Brighton? So um, both teams managed to avoid relegation, avoid much drama this year. Um, I don't see either of them as playing particularly attractive football. But yeah, how do you see this one panning out? Uh, Burnley have been in a fantastic run since since lockdown. Sean Dyche just praises team for the way that they've done. They've climbed up to ninth in the league, but they still they well they they are four points away from from seventh, so they won't make Europa League next season. And the question for Burnley is like, what are they doing? You know, as in it's all well and good uh, surviving in the league every season, but if I was a Burnley fan, I'd just be bored by the not so necessarily brilliant style of play. Uh, you're not really challenging for Europe. You're not really in a, some sort of exciting relegation scrap. Nothing's really going <laughs> I don't on. I think anyone wants to be in a relegation scrap now, let's be honest. It's enjoyable, at least. There's it's something to play for. maybe, but the stakes are some, maybe too high for comfort. From, um, from the Brighton from the oh. Brighton perspective, I think they've put in, they've, they've laid a great platform for next season uh, under Graham Potter. Um, they've they're out. Well, they've just by the skin of their teeth uh, escaped relegation. Um, and I think with a few more signings, as you said, Ashwin signing Adam Lallana, a bit of a creative uh, dynamo in midfield. Um, they might be able to do something. I really rate Potter as a as a manager, as do I think most of the footballing world. Yeah, fair enough. Um, well, um Calvin, Calvin, you had something to add. Yeah, to Burnley. Um, could it be Sean Dyche's last game? He's wanting to push for Euro- European football and time and time again, he's not been backed. Uh, it's been mentioned in a few of his post-match interviews and he's just stayed professional, you know, but we know that's happening behind the scenes. He said what he wants, it's whether the board will give it to him or well, where will he go though, that's the thing. Um, Dyche, you know, he's not going to be managing a top four, top six club realistically. I mean, I've heard, I've heard mentions of Palace. Arjun, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Palace. Palace would be a good good move, I think. It's you might say it's a sideways move, but I think it's a bit of a step up in terms of finances and maybe a more attractive club to um, sign players. And obviously, Hodgson's not getting any younger, is he? And with this terrible run of form they that Palace have been in, maybe the ball could be looking at a replacement. I think Deitch at Palace makes perfect sense, to be honest. Yeah, would be good. Fair enough. Um... So what are you? What are your thoughts on Everton-Bournemouth? So you said that Bournemouth, all of you have said that you kind of condemn Bournemouth to 19th spot. Do you see any kind of fight in this game, which may be futile, but but any kind of fight? Everton yeah. don't really seem to be playing for much, so maybe they are the perfect team for Brighton to try and get a result against. I don't think it's the fact that Bournemouth won't get a result. I think they will. I just think either Villa or Watford will also get, well, probably Villa, because we already said Watford's not getting a result, but either one of them, will get a result, which basically means Bournemouth won't stay up unless they score a ridiculous amount of goals. Yeah. No, fair, fair enough. I mean, um, Lawrence, what are your thoughts on that fixture? Uh, I mean, Bournemouth, Bournemouth maybe maybe will, in the, in the kind of last hurrah, have a go? I agree that it's sort of uh, you know, nothing to lose. Bournemouth will definitely go for this game. But <laughs> as has been the problem time and time again this season, Bournemouth just will concede goals. But... We'll cover more in in sort of the season review, but I've been thoroughly underwhelmed by Carlo Ancelotti at Everton. I know that you know he he will want to make big moves during the summer and revamp the squad somewhat, but you know he came into the Premier League in December um, in I think thirteenth thirteenth place, and he's going to finish in eleventh. Um, and to be honest, I don't think that's the kind of result or uh, the kind of progression that that 
Everton fans were looking for from such a high-profile manager. Um, I think one plus point will be Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who is, f- for my word, he's he's one of the most hard-working strikers in the league. He's got very tough job working as sort of the, the, the target man or f- first man in the press. And uh, every game he puts in absolutely 100%, which is why managers at Everton have picked him um, over and over again. And he's kept Moise Keane out of the side for most of the season. Yeah, fair enough. Um, what are your thoughts, Arjun? Yeah, I've been a bit disappointed by Ancelotti as well. I don't think they would have had any chance of getting into the top four or anything like that. But he's been a bit underwhelming. I think he had a really good start, but we'll see next season whether he can mobilise Everton to get Europa League football at a minimum. I personally don't see it. They've, they've got a really bad track record at signing players recently. So... Yeah, I don't think I don't see that ending well. And Ancelotti sort of regressed a bit as a manager. Mm. Um, the spell at Bayern Munich was quite disappointing. He's certainly not at the level that he was with the likes of Napoli, Real Madrid, and obviously Milan game before that, and obviously Chelsea. Um, but yeah, I don't see that ending well. And yeah, who knows? I I, I can can see Watford getting a result, but I think that obviously a point by either Watford or uh, Watford or Villa consigns them to relegation. So. Yeah, yeah but fair enough. Um, I think the next game will be very easy, quick to talk about. Man City, Norwich, I just see this as a rout. Man City <laughs> regularly, beat, regularly beat bad teams really easily. <laughs> and and honestly, Norwich are the, are the worst of the worst, obviously. They, they can't defend at all. So, I mean, this is going to be quite, this is going to be quite, I think quite, quite, you know, I think Man City would dominate this game, to be honest. I don't think you disagree. It's interesting you, you say, say that, because if you remember the but, reverse... Okay, right, hang on. Yeah. yeah the, the reverse fixture um, earlier this season, Norwich beating City 3 2. Yeah. That was when we thought like Norwich were the, you know, the shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's when they all had stuff goal. to play for now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe not actually, because, you know, some of the players might play for new contracts elsewhere. Who but, knows? Yeah, but it's, it's, just, it's just indicative of how far their season has fallen. I also, want to raise, I also want to raise the fact that in 2014, final of the season, City had obviously won the title, um, and Norwich um, were relegated already, and they won three two away at City in the final day of the season. Nothing to play for again. Same scenario here. Who knows? I, I you know, could be worth a cheeky bet. Norwich to do the double over City, perhaps. I, I don't know. Just pointing it out there. Could be, could be worth something. Yeah, so, bet yeah. three six five. Hit us up. <laughs> we'll promote you. Sponsored by um, William Hill. Oh, right. Well, okay, we'll have some brand wars going on here. Um, William Hill's very sad. Yeah. We're not they do sponsor a lot. They do sponsor a lot of Wait, can I just say, um, bet responsibly? Like, yeah. yeah, when the fun stops, stop. That's right. like for one second, though, remember, on the screen. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, I need to reform that. All right, moving on. Um, we have Newcastle against Liverpool. Honestly, I just don't really care about this game. Um, from a Liverpool perspective, <laughs> both teams don't really have anything to play for. Newcastle in mid-table, mid-table nowhere, and Liverpool obviously sealed up the title so um i wouldn't be surprised if Klopp plays some of the kids um in the sense that i'm not sure about the alcohol blood levels of some of the other players to be honest so i'm not sure who's going to be out of action i think for religious reasons due to lack of drinking salah and mane might play a, might play a role um but yeah i can't see someone like i can't see someone like robertson playing for example or playing it well because his performances after the title was confirmed were pretty awful because you could tell he just wasn't he just wasn't up for it. Um, um, I think Newcastle might show some hunger, but again, I'm not sure, not really sure what motivates them. Maybe the Saudi takeover, potentially keeping their contract. I'm, I'm not sure. What do you guys think? Well, if it has been motivating them, it's done a pretty fucking poor job. <laughs> yeah, literally. Uh, they haven't won in ages. Um, Liverpool, I mean, if they do win, they'll they'll be on 99 points. And I, I think there must be some small part of you, Ashwin, that hopes that they that hope that they would get that hundred. So Yeah, I mean just, I mean I wouldn't even yeah. lie, like I, I did I did want it just because I don't like Man City as a club, so I wanted one of their records or at least to match it. So it was annoying not to get it. But again, like if someone offered me ninety nine points at the start of the season and the title, like would I take it? Or well, obviously what do you think? So um I have to be realistic realistic. Um Arjun Calvin, any thoughts on this game? That it's not doesn't seem to be particularly exciting just because there's not really anything to play for. Yeah, I mean it's not it doesn't really stand out as one of the fixtures, does it? to watch as does I think the final game 
and of the turn, Southampton, Sheffield United. Again, not really much to play for. I think Southampton could get 11th and Sheffield uh, United know. could get um, 8th. But yeah, Calvin. Calvin, yeah. I think it's about the golden boot here. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's what they're going to be playing for. Right, that's interesting. Yeah, fair enough, yeah. Yeah, Danny Ings is on 20 goal, 21 goals this season. He's he's two behind Jamie Vardy. I don't sc- see him scoring a cheeky hat trick. Um, but you know, More that would be quite cool to see. No, it'd like, be cool to see, see him score a hat trick on the day and just take the result from Vardy. If, if you know Man United can actually keep Vardy out, I mean, I want to see Jamie Vardy running past Harry Maguire though. So I'm, I've got conflicting <laughs> interests. That will definitely happen during the game. At but least yeah, once. On, <laughs> back on Danny Ings, I mean. Uh, not really a fashionable name, but if he continues his form next season, Euro 2021, he could be Kane's closest um, competitor for the number nine spot. It, depends, no, it yeah. depends if they play two up front as well, for all we know. Or, you know, I mean, two strikers. Yeah, not two. sure. Like, he could be in there, you know, if they decide to, you know, play more in midfield, you know, and bring Sterling and uh, back. Or, you know, him coming off the bench as a system option. I mean, I, I'm surprised that Vardy um, gave up his England duties just because I thought that, he, you know, his legs are still very good on international level where the defensive communication might not be as good as it is at club level, regardless of personnel. He's the kind of person that can make the most of those gaps and, and make challenging runs. So I, I thought he'd be quite ideal for tournament football, you know, where he gets a game and then a bit off and then a game, you know. But but I, I guess it's just kind of his choice, really. I think... Part of that is, you know, it's a classic thing with Sterling as well. You know, as soon as he puts on an England shirt, he's not the same player. Mm, okay, interesting. Also, I guess because Vardy will never be better than or first choice ahead of Harry Kane. And England duties, a lot of travelling. It's a lot of training yeah, a lot of that you have to do to maybe get 10 minutes off the bench, you know. That's, that's true. Um, but yeah, um, that was a good overview of all the games. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Um as just a reminder that we're on Spotify, the link's in our Instagram bio. Uh, please follow us on Instagram and Spotify and subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, just a quick note that uh, this episode will be followed by further episodes on a review of these games, uh, season review. We'll try and do some stuff on the FA Cup final and the Champions League as well. So the content isn't stopping, even though um, the league is um, ending. And we'll do stuff in the summer if there's some transfer sagas, I'm sure. Um Additionally, there are many other series from the symposium. We've got other sports ones like um, F1, cricket, um, and um, we have music and film ones too. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of content for everyone. So we hope you keep enjoying this symposium. We'll be back soon from You Can't Podcast with Kids. Thank you very much. Symposium with Ash Orlack.